Welcome to the Arts vs. the Virus, a limited series podcast where we interview members of the arts world to find out how the coronavirus pandemic and associated lockdowns have affected them and their work. The podcast is presented by magician Ash Price and produced by Teresa Dua through Noisy Ghost Entertainment. Hello and welcome to this episode. Today we are talking to Jen McGregor, who is a writer, director, dramaturg and general all-round theatre maker. Jen, hi, how are you? I'm not bad, thanks. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm I'm not too bad. Um, it's it's an interesting time when we're recording this in because it's, it's the one year anniversary of a lot of things happening. Um, mid-March um, and the day before my, I'm getting, having my first lockdown birthday tomorrow, so... Um, birthday yeah that'll be interesting experience last year i had a llama cake and three people in an audience for a show and wondered why there were so few people yeah yeah Yeah, my my last gig before lockdown was uh hosting a lip sync battle for a hen party um and i've never breathed quite so um alarmistly as i did that day is alarmistly a word yeah anyway doesn't matter so Go much sanitizer, everything smelled of that day. Oh wow, yeah. It's uh I, I remember the kind of the lead into it. There was a, a gig I did round about exactly a year ago yesterday in a 40-seater room with 60 people <laughs> with no ventilation. Oof. Um yeah. Yep. Uh so uh for those listening who don't know who Jen McGregor is, who is Jen McGregor and what does Jen McGregor do? Oh God, that's a good question. Hmm. Um, I am also known in some places as Gen Bites or Gen Bites people. Uh, so occasionally I come across people who follow me on Twitter but have no idea who this Jen McGregor person is. So uh, that's a fair thing. Um, I am a writer and of plays and spoken word and occasionally other things. Um, my work is rooted largely in horror um, and in my own experiences of gradually coming to realize that I may be the monster in someone else's horror story. Um, I direct and dramaturg and do various things. Uh, my, I wrote a play called Heaven Burns that won the Assembly Roxy Theatre Award a couple of years back um, about a woman who was a witch pricker, um, managed to make a career out of it. Apparently a very, very good living. Not exactly a feminist hero or anything along those lines, um, no. <laughs> but uh, possibly quite an interesting character. Um, at the moment, I have been working on a spoken word show, which was meant to be my first full-length spoken word piece. Uh, it was meant to happen in 2020. Obviously, like a lot of things in 2020, it had to change shape. So it became a piece that was originally meant to straddle spoken word and theatre and ended up straddling spoken word, theatre and digital performance. Uh, So that was called Fragmental and was about my experiences of living with schizophrenia spectrum disorder. Uh, And suddenly the whole thing about being the monster in someone else's horror movie falls into place in the minds of people listening. Um. So you, you mentioned a couple of things that you you had in the pipeline. I, I do want to just take us back about a year ago, uh, more or less exactly a year ago to March uh, 2020. But just before uh, the prime minister came out with the whole, we're going to go into lockdown and it'll last about two days and that's it. It'll be fine. Um, what, what was in your diary? What were your plans going forward? What was April and May or August looking like? I was supposed to spend summer of 2020 working on a new piece by Hannah Lavery uh, called The Unseen Child for Hopscotch Theatre through in Glasgow. Um, Hopscotch does a lot of schools touring, so I was watching the announcements about schools possibly closing with great interest, um, aware that if they did, that was that tour kiboshed. So uh, that happened, obviously. Um, So I was very, very lucky that the... Uh, the the production timeline didn't get completely shut down because we already had the script and we were quite a fair way into the process. We just cast. Um, that was my last trip to Glasgow was for the auditions. Um, we didn't want to just sort of throw away all that work. So that got rethought and I'm actually still working on it. So we're going to be working on that this summer, but probably as a digital 
experience um, given that even even those schools are reopening and we suspect that by the autumn they might not be entirely chill with the idea of just having random strangers coming into the building um, mm. which is fair enough the before times were quite manky yeah a little bit um one of the things i hope we carry forward is the the increased hygiene and cleanliness of places definitely um yeah i'd like i'd like to see maybe a little bit more hand sanitizer around um because people touch things in shops and like you don't know where those hands have been and although the people who people who kind of poke and prod things in shops without caring about it are they really the type of people who use hand sanitizer anyway exactly i i've been i was quite worried when uh, when things originally started to to trend downwards things like flu and colds and all of that kind of thing because that was the big moment of my going oh a lot of you just weren't washing your hands to begin with were you Mm -hmm. oh and i was assuming that you were oh that wasn't a safe assumption oh i'm never going back to that so i have a lot less faith in people's hygiene than i did a year ago yeah there's um the amount of times like in in public toilets for example you see someone just walk out without washing their hands and like are you going to go and pick things up in a shop are you going to go and touch the things i'm about to touch that's ew why don't (laughs) yeah um so what were, you, what were your kind of initial reactions to lockdown? What changes did you see? And, and what did you, how long do you think it would go on for? I was in two minds about it in, in early lockdown. I couldn't see that the strategies for dealing with it were likely to be successful. So there was a bit of me that was thinking, okay, I think we are actually in this for the long haul. I'm anticipating at least a year. Um, so there was that timeline in my brain. Uh, but there was also the bit of me that was thinking, and I might have to go back to rehearsing and teaching in person um, imminently, in which case I want to make the most of this time and get everything that I can done. Because um, I, I used the first few weeks of lockdown just to get caught up on so many things. I'd had such an incredibly busy time in the run up to it, um, including directing my first opera and doing a scratch piece um, as part of Stella Quine's Make Do and Mend Strand. Um, and those had, those had happened just before. So my flat was in that state of uh, have just done a show yeah, where everything <laughs> is everywhere and everything is upside down and half your belongings have been props. And yep. Uh, so I, I was spending that time just going, okay, this at least gives me a little bit of breathing space. I'm not straight back into rehearsals for the next thing now. So I can, I can tidy up properly. I can just organize my inbox and do all of those things. But I felt like I was doing them under time pressure because it could end at any moment. Mm. And then obviously it became clear that it was going to extend into summer. And that's when I I sort of breathed a little easier and thought, okay, the the frantic organization can can come to an end. I know that I'll be teaching online for a little while. I know that I'll be doing rehearsals online. All my travel time and everything is taken out of the equation. So I've actually got a lot more time on my hands now than I had previously. Uh, so that was uh, obviously something I immediately filled with other projects. Of course. Because, <laughs> why wouldn't you? Um, and I, I was quite fortunate in that the, um, the sort of isolation aspects of lockdown were not something that I found particularly difficult to deal with. I think having having had sort of previous history of of mental and physical health issues and having having been in recovery and effectively confined to home for some time before and um, I, I know the drill like this this was not my first rodeo when it came to being stuck indoors for long periods of time um and i've got a fairly good set of tools for dealing with it acquired through years of trauma and therapy but uh, those sort of came into their own at that point i i, I was able to while I was watching a lot of people around me um, feeling quite panicked and and having having their plans derailed in a major way for the first time, I, I was sort of standing on the outside of that and going, well, this is this isn't the first time that my life's been thrown off course somewhat. So this is okay. I can I can deal with this. This is actually one of the less personally awful times when it's happened. So that's fine. I've got stuff I can be getting on with and I'm in a position to get on with. So I started sort of trying to um, 
make myself available to anchor projects that needed someone to to do that. Um, I was doing a lot through my my work with Data Director of Scotland to sort of host chats and skill shares and things like that for people who might be feeling somewhat isolated and a bit terrified of how you move online. Um, it was a new thing for me as well, and obviously the one of the first things I did was get on Zoom and go right. Okay, so this seems to be the platform everyone's about to move on to. How does it work? What do I do with this? I'm expecting to be hosting stuff on this, so better get skilled up quick. Yeah, Skype very much dropped the ball with this whole video conferencing thing. Somehow, really it managed. It's like it, it should have been the champion. It's like no, it's just what Skype. <laughs> No one could remember their Skype passwords or whether you're meant to go in through the Skype app or Skype for Microsoft on your desktop. Oh, yeah. They fight. They fight yeah. far too much. And I can't be bothered disentangling that. So when I found out that Zoom was just like, send the link, click here, in you go. Cool. Excellent. I know it's full of spyware, but if that's the price of actually being able to use the damn thing, then, mm. you know, joys of the 21st century, I guess. Yeah, it's been it's been really useful. I've tried a couple of platforms. Um, I tried Teams, and the first time I tried oh, Teams, um, yeah, it gave me a panic attack um, because it just I wasn't responding. Teams. It kept sitting around in circles, and it legitimately caused a minor panic attack. And I had to take kind of time out from everything. And yeah. the meeting I was supposed to be in, I was like, I can't come to this. I'm really sorry. And it took me a very very long time before I was willing to give it a go again. And I was only willing to give it a go on the presider so that it would just be a link I open, and that was it. And it was nothing else it was, just, it was a very awful experience and um... oh, i can't stand teams I, i've only been to a few meetings on teams and always as a participant i've never had to host on teams yet but i find it i find it a difficult platform to to focus on um possibly just through lack of familiarity but it's it feels a lot less intuitive to me uh, yeah. than zoom does so, and I know that's that's not everyone's experience, and I feel really bad for anyone who doesn't find Zoom intuitive at all, because yeah. they must have had a really hard time this past year. Oh, oh gosh, yeah, it's it's there's so much new things happening, and so many new things that people are trying. I mean, the rise of of so many digital conferences and digital plays and digital shows, and so much utilizing kind of the inter internet. It's been a a real wave, and. Like this year, now there's been the time for it. The fringe looks like it's going to be pretty much almost exclusively digital, I think, realistically. Yeah. Uh, and there's big pushes now for places like the free fringe, especially with the showing, you know, we're going to be doing this X, Y, and Z. And, and I don't know I've kind of had a year to acclimatize myself to things. And I mean, I'm fairly tech savvy, but I'm not sure I'm, I'm not sure I'm mentally going to be able to do a show digitally. I think it's just, it feels for me personally that I'm, I'm probably going to struggle and yeah it's I mean even though I've done stuff digitally <laughs> I don't know it just feels like a completely different mountain I think it's it's partly because it's the fringe isn't it like it's yeah. such a it's such a behemoth anyway and I think those of us who have been around the fringe for a number of years you know all the kind of stresses and and everything that's associated with it and I'm definitely having those feelings. There's there's that one part of my brain that's going, you could do this. You've made digital stuff now. You're used to it at this point. Why don't you? And there's the other part that's going, digital plus fringe? Really? Yeah. That sounds like a terrible idea. And also, I know that, um, I know that I've currently got work lined up all the way to the beginning of August. So I'm aware that if I want to do anything, I need to get on it right now and make sure that it's all done, dusted and ready ahead of time. And I just, at the moment, I don't think I have the time for it. So I think I'm going to do what I did last year and try and ignore August as much as I possibly can. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that something outdoor can happen. And if it can, I have a few shows that I can, uh, that I've done before that can go on in outdoor capacity. And I think I could put together, um, but I, th I think I'm going to hold on until maybe June before I make the final decision of whether or not I can do something, but I, I'm fairly, fairly certain I'm not going to be doing something digital. Um, but then again, with the way my brain works at times, a month's time, it might go, yeah, you can do this. You know what you're doing. You got this, you do this. There is always that danger, isn't there? That, that you just catch yourself usually late at night i find um, that yeah. there's a moment of you just going i can do anything so i'm gonna do this 
and then you realize the next day that you just registered a fringe show and on the one hand this is how brilliant things happen but on the other uh, this is how I end up losing the first two weeks of September every year so yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah there's definitely um I find that the first couple of weeks of September for me I need a kind of period of recuperation um but there's also again there's a nagging voice and I think it seems to be quite common in the arts of the nagging voice of you shouldn't be taking time off you're self-employed yeah. you, you should be working how dare you take time off society yeah. will judge you um but yeah uh, yeah, that opportunity that you've been waiting for for all these years, the big break, that'll come during this time and you won't be ready for it because you're taking your time off. You're having your little holiday. Mm. And yeah, I kind of expect the universe to punish me for it. Yeah, I've got myself trained now to take time off over Christmas on the grounds that that's when such a lot of things are closed anyway. Like theatres close their offices and everything. So I can take that time off. But oof trying to persuade myself to do it at other times of year i i'm i'm aiming for easter and <laughs> i've noticed myself gradually filling the diary so on my, on my facebook memories the other day something came up um uh for the kind of this time two or three years ago and it, it was just me saying um oh well the way things are going um i might be able to take a couple of days break at the end of mm, late september maybe i'm like okay <laughs> that's <laughs> And I think that's 2017, which meant we at that time we were going into horror festival hardcore planning anyway. So yeah. um, I don't think I did take any time off. <laughs> no, I, of course not. It just isn't. Um, oh, it's so unhealthy. But... It really is. Really is. But it's it's fun in a weird, unfun type of way at times. It is. So it, it's fun until you burn out, and then it's not yes. fun. But then you've got energy again once you recover from the burnout. So you just do it all again I don't know I attribute this to not having the sense I was born with and also you know capitalism and 21st century life and everything some of it is a choice some of it is just some of it is just a question of being largely unemployable for other industries to be quite honest yeah so. exactly I, I think I've kind of reached a point where I think I'll struggle to get most jobs now because it's like yeah. you've got no experience in this whatsoever it's like you're gonna hire <laughs> someone who's younger and cheaper it's like okay who will stay know, I, with I, us i was having that conversation um with some some adult students that i teach um about sort of transferable skills and things like that and they, they were you know pointing out to me quite rightly that a lot of what i use as a director is a, a managerial toolkit um like, you could absolutely parlay that into other things and then i was thinking but i don't want to ultimately this is what i'm good at this is what i'm trained for this is what i'm skilled in Mm -hmm. And, you know, I want to do this. It's just that this doesn't really come with a clear path to regular income that doesn't involve my giving up all the bits that I actually do it for. Because, you know, I mean, there was a time when I thought I wanted to be like a building-based artistic director or what have you. And over the years, I've just grown to look at that and go, I don't, I don't think that would be a path that suited me at no. all. I think I need this kind of multifaceted doer of many different things. Yeah. Life that I've created for myself. It's ultimately what I always really, really wanted. And I don't know if there is a way to actually reconcile just the number of hours it takes to do the number of things that I do uh, with, with anything that actually provides stability and removes the element of precarity from that yeah I, th I think I think I, I agree entirely with that I think uh, with me a lot of it is um, I, I kind of like to feel like I'm in control of the direction I'm going in that I, I know that I'm able to kind of do certain things I think I think some of that is to do with kind of mental health issues as well in the past of I know that can sometimes make me unreliable. I don't like to put myself in a position with other people where I'm going to be unreliable for that whereas if I'm working into my own steam and to my own schedules i have a bit more kind of control over that and it's like if i if i suddenly find myself able to work at 3 a.m that's fine because it's my own project um yeah. which is why I'm, I'm really enjoying doing some video editing stuff right now because i can do it at like 3 a.m when my brain's going work yeah there's there is something really really nice about being able to do that and and also about knowing that you have the skills to do the things that you need to do 
yourself because obviously you know this industry attracts a lot of people who for one reason or another have their times when they can be reliable and times when they can't and so it's always good to know that if if someone else's unreliable time clashes with a moment where you really need them to be reliable that you can pick up the slack again this is all very very unhealthy don't do this at home kids but it's these are definitely the coping strategies I've built up over the years. So knowing that, and I, I learned how to video edit last summer um, when I was working on Fragmental because I knew that uh, because of the material I was working with, I really, really didn't want to entrust the editing of the footage to anyone that I didn't already know and have a relationship of trust built up with. So I had that moment of thinking, oh, right okay if I'm going to do this at all I'm going to have to do it myself which means I better learn and I mean this is how I acquire most new skills is by by reaching a moment of going for one reason or another delegation isn't actually an option on this one so skill up time yeah no I completely (laughs) sympathize with that position um so um just back to the kind of the COVID stuff, because like we went on a really nice little tangent. But uh, <laughs> uh, when when it was early twenty twenty, uh, so kind of round about now, a year ago, before everything again kicked off, what changes did you start to see? Because I, I I think I mentioned briefly before we started recording that I was seeing fewer audience members around that time for certain shows and. Other people were mentioning similar things and people cancelling events. And what type of little things were you starting to see before it became obvious there was a problem? I I had mostly noticed people people joking about it, largely, about the, this, this big threat that was going to change the way we were living um, that, that was also apparently just a cold or whatever. So that there was a lot that I'd, I was vaguely aware of, of people just taking the piss a bit. Um, like I said, at that point, I was working on Cavalleria Rusticana with Edinburgh Studio Opera. So I had a big cast. There was a full orchestra. We were in the main space at the Roxy. And the thing that sticks in my head that I don't know if I'd ever be able to ask anyone to do this again now was uh, there's a there's a scene in the opera where there's a, an Easter Madonna procession. Um, of the kind that you find in southern Italy and we went for the idea of one of the one of the characters being dressed in the robe of the Madonna and everyone queuing up to to kiss the hem and I I have horrible images of this in the dead of night now of, Mm. of all of these all of these young singers holding the same piece of cloth to their lips and I just kind of look at that now and go, ah, oh my God. I think at some point I did say to them, if you don't want to, if you're worried about this and you don't want to actually kiss the hem, then just grab it in your fist and put your fist to your lips. Like They won't know mm-hmm. if you're not actually touching it to your lips. So just hold it near and let it go. And you can sanitize your hands before and after. And, and I remember when I was saying that feeling like am I just being really really alarmist here is this just ridiculous although at the same time something had just gone around the entire cast as it tends to because it was winter it was flu season it was cold season and the you know it's a it's a student company that hires in a professional creative team and sometimes professional principals and uh, you know I'd kind of expected that at some point something would end up going around them um, and I'd been sick with one damn thing after another for all of 2020 up to that point. So yeah. I was aware, I was aware of a general sense of heightened alertness. And just as we came into the last couple of days of Cavalleria, news of the venue closures was starting to break. So I spent that last couple of nights just going in, crossing my fingers that we would still actually get to do the show. Um, and there was a lot of chat amongst the amongst the other sort of Edinburgh arts folks that I know, checking in on the venues that we all worked at and who was who was still open and who was closing and who was who was thinking about this short term and long term. But it didn't feel real at all. Mm. 
I was waiting for that lip sync that I hosted to be cancelled. I, I genuinely thought that might be, um, especially because the the bride's family was coming over from Ireland uh, and Ireland seemed to be having a worse time with it at that point than we were, or possibly they were just taking it more seriously. I can't really remember. But I was aware that the fact that they were coming from Ireland was ringing alarm bells. Yeah. And that last night, it was it was the 14th of March and I, I put myself into lockdown the next day. So I started a week ahead of, of everyone else, um, of the sort of official lockdown. It had a real um, end of the world vibe to it, the city centre that, that night. Because um, I remember being out and it just, it didn't feel like just a normal Saturday night. It felt yeah. like people were determined to wring everything they could out of that one evening. Um, it was such a strange night. Yeah, I was I was briefly in town that night because I I had a gig, what would ultimately be my last gig, proper gig before before everything, and yeah, there was a very odd sense in the atmosphere. Um, surprisingly, even though it was my last gig and it, everything was about to kick off, it was actually a a, a full full house of a show. Um, mm. uh, although it was a, it was a small capacity anyway, but it was still a full house. No no one cancelled, but it was it kind of felt weirdly normal doing the show and then coming back out of that and into into the city center it was a very odd i don't know for me it felt like there was a calmness around mm. like a coldness i don't, I don't know it's, it's i i think i'm looking at it through weird lenses it's odd how the looking back at it colors it isn't it yeah and i i kind of i wonder whether that was just being in different parts of town or just what whether you sort of map onto it what you expect to see um yeah it was yeah. just a bizarre night yeah i think was. i always find being out and surrounded by other people a little bit horrifying anyway so yeah. there may well have been an element of that <laughs> yeah. uh yeah it's because I, I remember that actually do remember that Saturday night i met up with my um my my now wife just to kind of meet on a break at the pub she was working in and just kind of having having some chips and stuff and uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a strange night, and then just not realizing as well that that was going to be the final kind of mm. no element of normality we had to see for a while. Uh, but people have been doing things during lockdown, and people have been trying things, and I know you've done a few things during lockdown. Um, so, what what have you been able to do? Well, the first thing that I got my teeth into was uh, a little sort of opera short. Uh, there's a, a group called Opera Harmony that uh, was created by a, a Ella Marchmont and she pulled together teams from all over the world. So I was part of this uh, little international team creating operas in lockdown to, to chronicle what was um, what was going on. Um, so I ended up uh, attached to this piece about two children hiding out in a blanket fort um, trying to figure out how to defeat the virus. Um, and that was that was a project I got involved in because I knew I was gonna have to make digital work. And I thought, right, I'm just gonna throw myself straight into it and see what happens. We will all be learning together. I, I was very keen to get onto it straight away because I knew that other people would, and I didn't want to find that I got to a point a few months in where I decided to take my time. Everyone around me, got straight on the horse and I was the one left going, I don't know how to do any of this. Uh, Cause I don't like feeling wrong footed like that. So uh, got on with that. Um, that ended up being broadcast on Oprovision, uh, which is a sort of streaming platform for that. Um, and we actually, we, we won an award for it, which was quite nice given that this wasn't something any of us had any intention of making. Um, and it was a really lovely team to work with, so got onto that. Um, I teach for Edinburgh Acting School and we had a couple of summer shows coming up um, and we'd brought in Emily Ingram from some kind of theatre to direct them. Uh, so I was kind of, I, I generally work on the EAS shows in my capacity as a performance coach. So I was sort of supporting that process um, which for the, the sort of, um, oh my goodness, double bill 
that we were doing over the summer uh, largely involved a lot of wrangling people into and out of the correct breakout rooms on Zoom. Again, one of those skills that I didn't know I needed until yeah. last year, but uh, became very, very good at very quickly. Um, so that was sort of the, the next thing that came up and then making Fragmental over the summer, having a lot of discussions with the director for that, Flavia Davila, about uh, what it is that differentiates um, theatre um, that's been filmed from a film. Um, especially given that in this case, the answer wasn't going to be, well, it was filmed in a theatre, or this is a show that is being performed before a live audience, but is being filmed for archival or broadcast purposes. No, this was being filmed in my box room um, <laughs> with me simultaneously performing it and operating the lights and uh, doing all sorts of weird, weird things. I, I was at one point trying to do a proper sort of horror shot of my weirdly twisted legs walking up a wall um, and found out that I could get a really cool effect if I did this in a shoulder stand uh, with my GoPro in one hand and the other hand changing the lighting state because <laughs> I had those kind of club lights that you can tap to to change the color mm. so I just had to keep tapping until I got to to what I wanted and yeah so that was skills I didn't expect to acquire um, so Fragmental was the the next big one in lockdown and then we did a development week on the hopscotch show um in november so that sort of kept me going um, at some point in all of this i also wrote a novel um which i need to decide whether i'm doing something with um so i'm just i've actually got a list that lives on the wall beside me of all the projects that i'm supposed to be doing <laughs> um or that i have done over the past little while. So the Den, Fragmental, yeah, all of these things. And at the moment, the big one is back to Edinburgh Studio Opera, who decided not to do a full-on opera this year, but we took Oscar Wilde's short story, The Remarkable Rocket, and inserted various operatic bangers into it. I rewrote the lyrics for most of them. Uh, there's a student called Grace Moran who wrote a brilliant set of lyrics for the big sort of climactic piece to it. And now we're at the stage of having to record everyone's bits and pieces and then I'm going to edit it together and it comes out on April the 1st. So that's that's what's consuming my lockdown time at the moment. Um, and then, yes, after that, I'm going to probably rework my uh, the spoken word show that I did a couple of years ago about Williamina Fleming, the astronomer from Dundee who became... Uh, the first woman to be given paid employment and to preside over the Harvard Observatory. Uh, she discovered the Horsehead Nebula and a lot of other things, but the Horsehead Nebula being the most photographed thing in space is kind of the big one. Um, I think it still is, in deep space at least. I would imagine the moon probably turns up in more actual photos, but again, I'm not keeping the records for that, so who knows. Um, but yeah, I, I did a, a piece about her from the perspective of the Horsehead Nebula uh, a couple of years ago at Hidden Door and decided that I was going to make some kind of filmed version of that involving puppetry. Uh, so I have made a puppet of Fleming herself and now I need to actually spend a little bit of time reworking it and then it's back to filming in the box room. Um, so that's, that's me basically, that's what's been happening. That's quite a lot. Um, and you, you're talking about projects that are going ahead now. And I want to kind of take us to an alternative reality where mm -hmm. either COVID didn't come about or where it did just kind of bugger off mid-summer last year. What do you think you'd be doing about now if if everything was, was normal? I'm not sure. I had been... I'd been thinking about this uh, a little while ago, and it's one of those life disruptions that was so major that I now find it quite difficult to, to picture the alternative path. Um, I also think I was quite fortunate in that some of the, some of the jobs that I had along the way led into things that might not have existed but for COVID, um, I was I was quite 
fortunate, like I said, because I, I was in a good position in terms of coping skills and mental health management and being quite used to having my life interrupted. Um, I was in a position to do some residencies and things like that quite early on in lockdown one that have sort of brought me into a position where the work I now have lined up was available to me. So if COVID had never happened or if it had vanished quite suddenly, I, I wonder if I would be in a somewhat more frustrated place. Mm. Um, I also suspect that I wouldn't have had nearly as productive a year because I, I found all the stuff in the outside world quite tiring and um, because of, of some immune system stuff that goes on with me, I was used to being sick all the time. So this has been the first complete year of my life um, of not having any kind of respiratory illness going on. I got better from the last one and it's it's not happened again since because I've been in lockdown because everyone else has been in lockdown because I haven't been out there catching everything off of actors that I spend too much time in small rooms with. Um, so I don't know, I may well have been in a very, very different place. Still wouldn't have finished the novel, probably wouldn't have finished the TV pilot that I finished earlier this year. Um, would have made fragmental, but wouldn't have wouldn't have the same amount to show for it. Because um, I had intended to get it filmed, but again, a filming of a live performance is quite a different thing. Yeah. That show would have been a very different shape because one of the things that came out of that process was that there were aspects of my experience that I didn't feel comfortable with writing about in my living space. Because um, some of the stuff pertaining to, to the exact nature of the delusions and everything. I generally only write about those in play outside of my house. So basically I go to the National Library of Scotland and I write there because if the mind demons find the place where the thoughts were thoughts, they'll find the NLS and not my home. Yeah. Um, so yeah, basically if the NLS ever gets destroyed by my mind demons, I'm really sorry people, but I just needed to keep it away from me. Um, <laughs> Sorry about that's that. What's, that's what's going to follow COVID. <laughs> I hope not. But if it does, then again, sorry, I, I will enact some kind of uh, epic last stand against it and hopefully defeat them once and for all. Um, but yeah, so that, that was a real revelation that there were things that I actually couldn't do, not just because of the physical restrictions of, of the space and everything, but because there were particular mental restrictions that I hadn't anticipated and that simply hadn't been in place at the time when I sent the application in because what I'd originally applied for funding to do was a live sharing um, so I would have done my usual I would have gone to the NLS I would have written that one bit that I absolutely cannot write and as a result I wouldn't have followed all the threads of why I couldn't write it and there's there's, there's a whole nother thing in that and I don't know what that is yet uh, but I'm quite excited to find out when I'm able to get out of lockdown and back to my my writerish safe space. Okay, um, that's actually an interesting little uh, little journey there. Um, I I kind of want to just talk a little bit about actually that getting out of lockdown. Um, there's been lots of things that we have actually developed during during this lockdown. Uh, there's been a really interesting hybridization of theatre and film, which has been really interesting to see in various areas. And obviously we've talked a bit about Zoom coming to prominence and being um, mostly accessible. There are some accessibility issues. Uh, I know various people who can't quite get on with Zoom because of um, noises and sounds and the way it works visually and all of that, but, uh, and all of that genu generally. Um, but there's been some things we've got out of lockdown that have been quite interesting creatively, artistically, societally. What type of things would you be interested to see continuing once we return to, to well, normality for lack of a better phrase, because obviously that normality we hope will be a little more improved. I'm really, really hoping that, uh, that for a start, theatre will retain the idea that you need to be filming shows. Um, even if it's only for archival purposes, even if you're only making it available 
um, for the sake of artists being able to engage with each other's work. Like, I, don't, I don't think everything necessarily has to be filmed in a way that is for the general public. Because um, I think, you know, there, there's a limit to how many uh, single camera at the back of the room productions um, your average theatre goer is going to want to see. But as an artist, those can be incredibly useful to see and it can open up things that you can't get to for reasons of geography or money or illness or any other things. Uh, so I hope we keep that. Um, I'm really, really interested in the little blossoming of um, augmented reality and virtual work that's going on. That is something that I am super keen to explore um, and that I hope, again, will continue because I've been watching the rise of VR for a few years, um, actually for quite a few years now. And it looked like it might have hit a little crest of the wave and maybe be about to take its place as a novelty that only sort of a particular type of nerd was interested in. And I actually think that COVID has reset that path a little bit. Now, I'm not an expert on this, and there might be people who know way more about it than me who are listening to that and going, yeah, right. But that's very much how it's looked from where I'm standing. Um, and I'm hoping that 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 grows and the use of, of augmented reality within theatre grows. I'm hoping this makes us more flexible in our, our thoughts about what, what theatre and live performance can be. Um, I'm a little concerned that it might make us a tad more conservative in terms of our physical relationship to an audience. Um, I know that there are there are pieces that I've worked on that rely on a blurring of the line between audience and actor that you can't necessarily do just now. You know, there's a show that I wrote a little while ago, which I'm not going to name because much as I'd like to give it a little mention, if I tell you which one it is, uh, you'll know what the big secret to it is. But there's one of them that, that relies on a sleight of hand trick for an object that an audience member has to handle. Um, and I'm sure you'll you'll know exactly what kind of problems I'm referring to here. How do you sanitize the thing as it passes hand to hand? Yeah. If the whole idea is it's meant to be unnoticed as it passes hand to hand. Yeah, I don't know what you do about that. So I, I'm I'm concerned about those uh, those potential ramifications, uh, but, but quite excited by the experiments with form that this has pushed a lot of people into and that it has to some extent normalized for audiences. It feels like in the before times, the idea of asking an audience to come onto a virtual platform or engage in a video chat or, you know, go and stand at that clock at precisely 2.30 and someone will meet you. That was, it wasn't absent, but it was very niche. Um, and certainly if you, it felt like if you approached major organizations with that stuff, there, there was a pushback. There was a feeling that, you know, well, no one's gonna actually do, you know, we, we attract audiences that are in the business of coming in and sitting in the seat and buying a drink in the bar. And that, you know, we're not really looking to send them out onto the streets or have them sit in their homes. And I think this has massively widened what audiences are aware of and willing to engage with. It's got people over that hump. Because mm. you, you remember what it was like. Like in February last year, there were still a whole lot of people where if you'd said, can I Skype you? They would just be like, oh my God, I don't know how to do that. I don't, I've never done it before. I've done it once and it was hard and I don't want to do it again. And now if you say, you know, what's your preferred video chat platform? Great, I'll see you there. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I know, obviously not not 100% of people, clearly not. But the majority of audience-going people are, are, at this point, familiar with platforms that they weren't necessarily a year ago. Yeah. I'm super excited to see whether we can retain that. And I think, actually, the fact that this has gone on so long is what has cemented that. Because I think if we'd just had a couple of months of lockdown, if it only ever been lockdown one and mm. then back to, you know, normality, um, we might have lost that. I think there, there were a lot of people who were more than ready at that point just to go right well that's that horrible little chapter done let's go back to exactly how things were yeah and now i don't think we can 
I think we will in some ways that are awful. Um, I mean, I think all the all the sort of conversations that have happened along the way about, you know, how we could actually improve practice, improve accessibility, all of these things. I am worried about those getting lost in the shuffle. Um, and I am worried about whether those of us who habitually shout about these things will have the energy to do so in the rush back. Yeah. Um, but I guess we just have to wait and see on that one. At least no one can claim ignorance anymore. Yes, exactly. And I, I think what's been shown, not just in the arts context, but in the wider context, is how things can be more accessible and how people's needs can be accommodated more than they were. And also, infuriatingly, how relatively simple it's been in some cases to actually implement those changes. Um, yeah. And it's, it's, it's felt to some degree almost like, well, now it's affecting the abled, fully abled people. Now it's something we're going to actually do something about. And that's, that's felt a little, stung a little. Yeah, it really has. It really has. Uh, it's it's infuriating. Uh, but I hope that we can leverage the fact that that ignorance is no longer an option, let alone an excuse. That, that we can point to these things and go, well, you could do it then. Therefore, you can do it now. You don't like the skills. You don't like the awareness. Neither do the audiences. So really, what is your excuse at this point other than you just don't want to? Yeah. Um, so ho hopefully we are kind of heading to that stage where, um, you know, we can take some of the things we've learned from lockdown and hopefully have them applied to the post-lockdown world. But when, when do you think that might be? I, I, when do you think we might see quite comfortable relaxing? And I know there's various roadmaps, but they're to varying degrees of reliability uh when do you think we might see things relax to the to a stage where we can go and do things theatrically and creatively and when do you think we'll see things be quote-unquote normal again i'm not sure i think there will be some things that will be happening over the summer like you i expect there to be some <clears throat> live elements to the fringe this year um i think they will be they will be quite small um and it feels like people are being quite cautious. Like last year, I think there were a lot of people who had plans to come back with a bang. Mm -hmm. And now it feels a little bit more softly, softly. Like there's, I think we, for a long time, we're probably still gonna see dual planning. So that you'll have to have your COVID proof version of the show and your real world version. Um, so I don't think we'll be free of that for a while, um, it, particularly not until the question of insurance is answered. Mm. Um, my guess is that by autumn, there'll be some things starting back. Like we are starting to see season plans and things yeah. being announced, but, but cautiously. I... I would think that probably this time next year is the earliest that you'll see anything where if you took a picture of it and compared it to early 2020 or 2019, that you wouldn't, you wouldn't spot much of a difference. Yeah. The pessimist in me is still going, it's going to be a long time yet, but you know, we do have, the rollout of the vaccines and everything. Yes. I think, provided we can avoid any particularly scary mutations, mm -hmm. um, and that there aren't any further massive super spreader events, and that we get off lightly from the super spreader events that there have been recently, mm -hmm. well, then uh, yeah, this time next year for normalish. Yeah, I think that seems fair. I think that seems fair. Um, I'm, I mean, you, you probably haven't seen me share very much from the Edinburgh Horror Festival um, of late, and that's primarily primarily because we're kind of settling on what exactly because we fall in autumn, so it's an odd time because it it feels like actually things probably will be opening up by then, but also 
we don't know and yeah it's yeah. it's it's a confusing confusing period but i think yeah next spring late this year next spring feel like kind of realistic goals i think there was some talk not long ago of oh the fringe will be back to normal this year it's like that's not happening no i mean as early as last fringe they were anticipating that it would be back to maybe 30 or 40 percent of what it had been in 2019 I, I, I was never quite sure what was going on in the heads of people who were going, yeah, full fringe in 2021. I'm not going to be going back to most of the fringe venues that existed until we are done. I, I will certainly not be. <laughs> I don't think I would welcome your typical fringe experience, certainly not unless I knew that I and the overwhelming majority of people in that room had been vaccinated. Yes, um, it's a very... There's that, there is that fringy feel, isn't there? Of it's a bit too crowded, it's a bit too hot, it's a bit too poorly ventilated. Um, yeah, and, and you know of... you're going to get fringe flu at some point. It's not yeah. a question of if; it is when. Mm -hmm. And I can't, I can't believe that we just dealt with that for years. <laughs> that we just went. I know I'm going to get sick at some point. It's fine. Yeah, and I'm I'll just get... keep going, and I'll just spread it to everyone around me because they know they're going to get sick too. Yeah, no. exactly. What? Exactly. Why are we doing that? Why are we like this? I know. <laughs> but I, I think that kind of gives us a nice kind of uh, end point. Um, Jen, just before we do close off, um, where can people find out about you and your work online? Are there places, social media that you can you can give us yep. to follow? And I have a website, which is jenmcgregor.com, um, but I am... Um, generally findable on Twitter where I am Jen Bites people. Um, most of the time, if you find Jen Bites or Jen Bites people or some variation on that, it's me, with the exception of the one on Facebook that is a cupcake company, which could not be less <laughs> me if it tried. Uh, but yeah, usually it's me. Uh, but website jenmcgregor.com is always a good bet. I keep a running list of what I'm doing on there with links, which I do usually remember to update eventually. Um, so that's, yeah, a, that's that. a good way of keeping up with what I am doing at the time. Um, there's also the, you know, for anyone who happens to have my email address, if they email me, they get the bounce back with the, the reason why I'm probably gonna forget to reply to them into which I tend to put everything I'm currently working on, which is obnoxious as all hell, but I really do recommend it. If you work in the arts, it's a really, really good way of just drip feeding what you're doing to people. And I get quite a few people who actually respond and ask me about things I'm doing oh, that I've put in my obnoxious out of office. I didn't expect anyone to read it. So I'm kind of surprised by that, but. That's a top tip for going forward. I think more people should do it. Well, Jen, it's been wonderful talking to you. You have a and great day. You. you too. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye now. Thank you for listening to The Arts First The Virus. Your host was Ash Price. The podcast was produced by Teresa Dua through Noisy Ghost Entertainment. Find The Arts First The Virus on Facebook. The music used was What Is Love by Kevin McLeod. From a compatech.filmmusic.io forward slash song forward slash 5015 hyphen what hyphen is hyphen love used under a creative common license.